This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. We are in our second week of our summer sermon series entitled Down But Not Out, The Art of the Comeback. And uh, we all love comeback stories, don't we? Isn't that great? I mean, they just capture our hearts because I think deep down inside we can all identify in one way or another in our lives with having felt like we're down and out and uh, either having experienced uh, the grace of God, the move of God in our heart, in our lives, in our circumstances that have enabled us to have a great comeback or maybe in the midst of a really difficult time right now and just saying, God, I know you're there. And God, I'm not giving up. Don't give up on me. Um, And you're just longing for and and you uh, are just hoping for that comeback in your life. Whatever the case may be, this sermon series is designed for everyone uh, because we find ourselves uh, through life in various times and places uh, where we are really just crying out to the Lord. And I think as we look through the Scripture and as we look at the lives of men and women, as we'll do in the weeks ahead, uh, of those who have been down but not out, we can really draw from them um, I think some real principles of, of, of the art of the comeback. Uh, what is it in, in our lives? What is it in the lives of these that God has left us in the pages of Scripture? What is it about their lives that a- enable them to be resilient, uh, to rebound? Now, last week, uh, we started with Gideon. And, of course, Uh, I told you the story of how important Gideon is to me because it's the very first story I can ever remember uh, hearing from the Bible. And it was important in in a lot of ways. I had no idea, uh, because I was only seven years old, uh, I had no idea how badly I was going to need to hear that story of Gideon. Gideon coming back from deficit, from um, working against odds that were just seemed impossible, uh, and yet uh, God was more than able. And of course, you might remember, as we talked about Gideon, it starts out, uh, you know, he's, he's in a less than uh, desirable circumstance. Uh, and then in the midst of that less than desirable circumstance, Gideon uh, is just struggling with his sense of self-worth. Uh, he sees himself as less than others. Uh, and then God calls him to a task that just seems impossible. And he has less than strong faith. And then if that weren't uh, enough, uh, God just continues to reduce the size of his army And he looks at it, and in a human perspective, uh, he has less than the resources he needs to accomplish what God's called him to do. And so you might recall 
that, that Gideon, in, in that period and time of his life, he, he was in a less than world. But then you might remember we talked about a more than God. That God was more than able, more than able, to work through Gideon to accomplish God's purposes in and through his life. And the same is true for you and for me. And you, you might remember uh, last week I said we need to get rid of our less than thinking because we have a more than God. We have a God that is more than able. More than able. Okay? More than able. And so as, as we think about that, we think about God being more than able Uh, we apply that into our own lives. And maybe you are in a less than desirable circumstance. Uh, Maybe you think less of yourself. Right? You you look at others and you compare yourself and you say, man, I am less than. Um, Or or maybe your faith is is less than strong this morning. Or, or maybe the resources you have in life to accomplish what you believe God has called you to do, those resources are less than you think you need. Again, this morning, I want to remind you of the story of Gideon. That Gideon served a more than able God. He is more than able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we can expect or ask, according to His power, that works within us. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen. And, 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 you know, again, this morning, if you are struggling with that less than thinking, uh, I invite you to leave that here this morning. Leave it. And go with a God who is more than able. And maybe for some of you this morning, that means going back and getting some prayer. Maybe it means putting a prayer request uh, on the prayer wall. Uh, Maybe it means going to see uh, one of our pastors and and, and just having a pastor walk through whatever's going on in your life with you, pray with you, encourage you, give you godly counsel. Maybe it means having a pastor give you a referral to a local Christian counselor. Maybe it means getting involved in a, in a home group and becoming a part of community that will hold you up and support you and pray for you and encourage you. I don't know which of those um, is important to you, but I know that I believe God wants someone here to do one or all of those things and get rid of that less than thinking and embrace a more than God, okay? So that's Gideon. That was last week. Uh, now we're moving on uh, to uh, the next week. And we're going to be talking about Joseph um, this morning. Joseph in Genesis. You had Abraham, right? Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons and the youngest was who? Joseph. And, and we're going to talk about Joseph this morning. And when I think about Joseph... Uh, I think about a quote that I've shared with all of you many times. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, 
I'll tell you my second favorite one too, but this is, this is probably my first favorite quote in life about life. Uh, it comes from Tim Hansel in his book, You Gotta Keep Dancing. And in his book, he talks about his journey dealing with chronic pain. He had a, just a debilitating, debilitating back injury. And uh, in his book, he talks about that journey and how he met God in the midst of his chronic pain. And if there is a thesis statement to his book, it's this. You're going to know it. Write it down if you haven't already. It's so important, and it really gets at the heart of Joseph and his life experience, and it's this. Tim Hansel says, pain in life is inevitable. Pain in life is inevitable, but misery is optional. Pain in life is inevitable, but misery is optional. He says that you, you, everybody experiences pain. Uh, it's a part of living in a fallen world. It's a part of the human condition. Uh, there is pain that, that people inflict on us. There's pain that we inflict on others. There's pain we inflict on ourselves. There's emotional pain. There's physical pain, right? Um, it, the world is full of pain. It seems like the planet Earth is this great big pain container. Pain in life is inevitable. We're all going to experience it. One form or another in many forms. But, he says, misery is optional. Misery is optional. In other words, you know what? You don't necessarily get to choose whether or not you have pain. But, you do get to choose what you're going to do with it. How you're going to respond to it. You get to choose whether or not you're going to be miserable. Isn't that good news? You're all, yeah, that's real good news. And so Joseph is a study in a person in his life where time and time again, circumstance after circumstance, Things were done to him that caused great pain, that caused separation, that caused isolation, that caused loneliness, that, that challenged his faith in God. Time and time and time and time again. And as we read the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, there's a couple of things that just really come out. One is no matter what happens in your life or my life, no matter how painful it may be, surrendered to the hands of God, when we give it to God, that He can redeem it. He can redeem it in a way that we can't even understand or imagine, in a way that only God can. And we see this, that's a, that's a theme in the story of Joseph's life. That no matter what happens, it seems like God just turns the circumstances, the situation, the intent of those who are harming Him. God turns it and redeems it and brings a, a greater purpose to it. Now, not that God caused all those things, but God is greater than those things. 
And when we surrender that to him, as Joseph does, and we see and we'll see here, God can redeem it. And uh, boy, that's good news. The second thing is this. It's how we respond to events, but more importantly, how we respond to God in the midst of the events of our life that determines the outcome. You see, it's several times in Joseph's life it appears the story is over. It's done. He's finished. He's through, right? But it is his response to God in the midst of those events, in the midst of the pain, the midst of the heartache, the midst of all the things that were going on around him, uh, the, the tumult in his life. It was his response to those events, but more importantly, his response to God that determined the outcome. And the, and the same is true for you and for me. So, our passage today in Genesis 50, verses 15 uh, through 21, it, it comes at the end of the book of Genesis and the end of the story of Joseph. And it is a very, very, very important um, section in Scripture. For, for in it, verse 20, 520, contain what has been to me perhaps one of the most important verses of all of Scripture. Okay? And basically, as you look at your Bibles, you'll see that in Genesis 5.20, that Joseph's brothers have come to him after their father Jacob has died. And even though Joseph has told them many years earlier that, that he essentially has forgiven them, that God worked even through their evil deeds and, and, and their wrong intentions. They get to this place where Jacob, the patriarch, dies, and the brothers come to him, and they're thinking, okay, maybe he was just saying that, and he was going to forgive us as long as our father was alive, his father was alive. But now our father's gone, what's he going to do? Has he really forgiven us? And they come to him and they plead for his forgiveness and they throw themselves down at his feet. And in that section that Janelle read, they said, we are your servants. Now, you might recall the whole story of Joseph back in chapter 37 began when Joseph told his older brothers about a dream, and the dream essentially was a dream in which they were submissive and subordinate to him. Now, he was the youngest. And they already had envy. They were already jealous because their father, Jacob, had, had already shown favoritism towards Joseph. And normally, in this time, it was the oldest that had the favor of the father, the blessing of the father. And here, Jacob had given that blessing to Joseph, had given him a robe to signify that he had the favor of his father over his brothers. Joseph 
has a couple of dreams, and, and in them, he goes and he tells his brothers, listen, I had this dream, and essentially, what you already know is true. And they devise a plot to do away with him. He goes out, they're tending the flocks, and they say, here comes that dreamer, right? Mm, that little brother of ours that thinks he's better than we are, that dad likes him more than us. And they devise a plot. At first they're going to kill him, but one of the brothers, Judas, says, no, you can't do that. He's our own flesh and blood. Why don't we throw him in a cistern, a hole in the ground, and uh, we'll leave him there. And he has another brother, Reuben, who says, well, gosh, you know what? I'm going to go check on him and and I'm going to make sure that, that no harm comes to him. But in the intervening time, there's a, a caravan of Ishmaelites. Um, later on, they're known as Midianites. We talked about them last week, right? They're descendants of Abraham and Ishmael. And they come along, and the brothers sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites as a slave and they purchase him and they go down to Egypt when they get to Egypt they sell Joseph to the captain of Pharaoh's guard a man named Potiphar and you can read all about this in Genesis 39 but as this was going on you're going to see that Joseph, even though he's been sold into slavery, even now he is in the house of Potiphar, that he is going to find favor. And, and you're going to see in this chapter four different times. Actually, chapter 38, or excuse me, 39. You're going to see four different times these words. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. So the Lord was with Joseph and Joseph prospered. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. Now you look at verse 21. But while Joseph, later on, in prison, was there in prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Verse 23. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So listen. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Joseph is purchased by Potiphar. Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of sexual assault, which he's innocent of, and throws him into prison. But no matter what happens with Joseph, here are the key words. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. 
And because the Lord was with Joseph, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, even in the midst of his pain, right? He was able to prosper. But other people saw that relationship he had with God, and other people saw how he prospered. And what did they do? They gave him more responsibility. They gave him more authority. They placed him in positions of influence. This is all going on. And so when we get eventually to chapter 50, the brothers who were jealous and wanted to do away with Joseph because they never wanted to be his servants, throw themselves at his feet and say, we are your servants. What a turn of events. It's an amazing thing. And of course, as they throw their feet, throw themselves at Joseph's feet, and they plead for mercy and forgiveness, Joseph says, hey, am I God? Am I God? I, I, I'm not going to judge you. In fact, you intended it for harm. But God intended it for good. The saving of many people. And, and here's the irony. Remember, God can redeem, right? The harmful act of others in our lives as we surrender them to Him. The brothers, when they threw Joseph into the cistern, when they sold him into slavery and thought they were done with him, right? They had no idea that as a result of those events, because God was with him, he would rise to a position of power and authority. Eventually, God is going to, or God, um, Pharaoh is going to give him responsibility of the whole nation. And God is going to use Joseph during a time of famine, not only to, to save Egypt, but to save peoples from surrounding countries and places, including Joseph's own brothers, who are going to be sent by their father Jacob to Egypt to purchase some grain. Do you see that? It's an amazing story. How God not only saves Egypt, but saves Israel in its future through the harmful acts of Joseph's brother. Now, there's something else that's very interesting here. If you turn to, to Genesis 41, verse 46, this is after he'd been put in prison, uh, after he'd interpreted a dream in prison, uh, after the, the cupbearer who was reinstated with Pharaoh had told Pharaoh about Joseph's ability to interpret dreams, and Joseph is called to interpret one of Pharaoh's dreams, and of course that dream is about a famine that's going to come. And as a result of that interpretation, Joseph gets elevated and put in charge of Egypt. He's second only to Pharaoh. And it says here at verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
There were 13 years that passed from the time his brothers sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites. He was 17. 13 years passed until now he is uh, instated by Pharaoh as the one to run the affairs of the nation. Okay? 13 years. Those were hard and difficult and disappointing and painful years. But in those years, God was at work in Joseph's life, in his heart, and preparing him for something much greater than he could have even imagined. And then as you read on, in verse 50, he gets married. In verse 51, Joseph has two sons. His first name, his firstborn is Manasseh. And said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son, he named him Ephraim or Ephraim. And said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of suffering. That's really important. Those two, that, those two names are important. One, God has made him forgetful. Or God in the midst of all of his troubles, has been with him, has cared for him, has prospered him to the place where even though hard things had happened, spiritually he was in a good place. His faith was strong. In other words, he had put aside the difficulty and the pain. He had embraced God and God's strengthening him in building his faith. The second thing is this. As God strengthened him in his faith, in the difficult times that he experienced, not only was he fruitful, he was twice fruitful. And and he named his two sons, essentially, forget and fruitful, to remind him of God's goodness. And God's work in his life. And, and, and how important it is for you and for me to do the same thing. To write down, to journal, to keep a log, to remember God's faithfulness, to remember that God is able to prosper us, grow us, build us up, strengthen us, even in the most difficult of times. And why is it important to remember that? For the next difficult time that's going to come. And I promise you, it's coming. You don't want to forget who God is. And you don't want to forget His ability to carry you through. Well, finally, verse 45, or chapter 45, verse 4. Joseph's brothers come and they want to purchase grain from Egypt during the famine. And Joseph, he doesn't reveal himself, his identity to them. And they have several encounters with him. They don't know it's their brother. Okay? They don't know that. And in chapter 45 is the reveal. Joseph is going to reveal himself. And in verse 4 it says this, 
or verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. You can imagine what they thought was coming, right? And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Right? For two years now there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you. A remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, God is sovereign. The works and the acts of men and women cannot thwart the sovereign plan of God. Even when those acts and those works are harmful or set themselves against God. God can turn them, God can redeem them to accomplish His purposes. Joseph, this is 22 years later now. 22 years after being sold into slavery. Do you think God's done some work in his heart and his life for him to reach that conclusion? And he had. Now, let's go back to chapter 50. We'll wrap it up. There the brothers are, throwing themselves at his feet, doing the very thing that they never wanted to do, fearful for their lives, telling him, our father said you should forgive us. They were forgetting that he already had. Okay? Verse 20, one of the most important verses in the Bible. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. You see, it didn't matter what they had done to him. God protected him. God prospered him. And God promoted him to accomplish God's plan. The same is true in your life and mine. So worship team comes forward as we get ready to continue in worship. I want to say to you that no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what your challenges are, no matter what somebody has done to you, God is more than able. God can redeem those circumstances. And God can change your heart. God can keep your heart from becoming bitter. God can keep you from becoming contemptuous. God can give you the heart of Joseph. Now it takes time. 22 years until He reveals Himself and says, hey, I've forgiven you. Don't, I'm not holding it against you because I know God had a greater plan. God was able to work through what you intended for harm. 
And sometimes our ability to forgive those who hurt us takes time. It's a process. It's not instant. Sometimes it just starts with the ability to say, God, I want to forgive, but right now I can't. Please help me. Right? That's the first step. But there's a direct correlation between Joseph and his understanding that God was able to redeem what had happened to him and the forgiveness he gave to his brothers. You see, had he been bitter, had he been resentful, had he been contemptuous, which he may have been in that 22 years leading up to his encounter with his brothers, but God did work, he could never get to the place where he could say, but you know what? God had a greater plan. I've let that go, and I've chosen instead to embrace God and recognize His work in and through these circumstances, even your harmful acts. That's the power of God. It's the power of God to change His circumstances. It's the power of God to change the destiny of nations. It's the power of God to change the future of His heart and the lives and the future of Israel. Because Joseph knew this. It's the key to the art of the comeback. Sometimes people hurt us. And they cause us great pain. It's like being thrown in a prison or being abandoned. But God, although they intend it for harm, God is able to redeem it and to do good. I believe with all my heart, Romans 8, 28, God can take all the circumstances in your life. They're not all good. Right? But He can take them and use them for good as we trust Him and surrender our pain and our disappointment and our hurt to Him. And so we end where we started. The message from Joseph. Pain in life is inevitable. But misery, well, that's optional. Amen? Amen.